0: It's time for the Smart Money Questions podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions podcast. Hey, everyone. Matt Hausman. want to welcome you again to a Smart Money Questions podcast. Today, I'm excited. We are going to have somebody on here talking about the exciting subject of property and casualty insurance, why it is important, and why you want to make sure that you actually think you're covered with what you think you are paying for every month. So let me welcome right now, I'm going to go ahead and welcome Ted Wolfer with White Clay Insurance down in Newark, Delaware, servicing the Mid-Atlantic region. Ted, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing great, Matt. Thanks very much.
0: We are. I'm, I'm happy to have you. Just to let, uh, I know many of my clients have heard me talk about the idea of making sure that you know and understand the type of coverages that your property and casualty insurance has for what you are paying for. And for any of you that have seen the reports that we have talked about, Ted is the one that actually put these together for us. Uh, as many of you know, I don't have a property and casualty license or offer those. So we work with other partners and Ted is the one that we work with on that. So Ted, I'm going to start out right now and I'm going to ask you to describe to us and help us understand what is property and casualty insurance?
1: Okay, sure. So believe it or not, every single person listening to this At some level is familiar with what property and casualty insurance is, because these are the insurances that we're required to own as individuals if we drive a car or if we own a home with a mortgage on it. So primarily what we're talking about for personal lines is your homeowner's insurance, your auto insurance, and a personal liability umbrella policy. Okay,
0: and that actually, let's go right into auto coverage covering our, sure. the n- numerous automobiles. I know that you've talked to me about this. You've actually shown this to me myself with our coverages, is help us understand the difference between what you just said, a requirement. So what is the requirement? And then what is okay. the add-ons that people should be looking at and
1: definitely considering? Okay. So if we remember at its core, any insurance policy is built around the idea of protecting you from a financial loss. So if we're talking about your car insurance, there's really two areas that we're going to focus on. The first is what's called liability, and then the second is what's called vehicle coverage. So your liability is the coverage that at some level, the state you live in tells you you have to own. I always tell my clients, it's protecting everybody else on the road from your bad decisions. So the liability coverage is protecting someone who gets hurt in an accident that's your fault by providing money to pay their medical bills. It's providing property damage coverage to protect the value of their vehicle or their house or their tree or their mailbox or whatever it is that you may hit with your car. And then finally, most states require at some level some degree of uninsured motorist coverage. To protect you as an individual if you wind up in an accident with somebody who doesn't have the car insurance they're required to own by the state they live in this is your liability coverage the levels of coverage vary dramatically from one policy and one company to another but those baseline levels of liability coverage are exactly what we're talking about so when I expand on that we push your coverage forward to include coverage for your vehicle so If you have a loan on your car, this isn't too optional because the loan or lease company is going to require you to carry this. These are typically the lines in your policy that are referred to as collision and comprehensive coverage. And you always want to rely on the definitions of an individual policy for the exact wording of how these are handled. But in a broad brushstroke, collision coverage is going to take care of any damage done to your car when it's moving. The assumption under insurance definitions is that if the car is moving and it hits something, it was your responsibility to avoid that something, and therefore it's a collision, that's the money in the policy that's there to rebuild your car. Comprehensive coverage, on the other hand, is typically designed to be a coverage for the things you can't control. So think fire, lightning, flood, theft, hailstones, The one exception is that if your car is moving and you hit a live animal, it's considered comprehensive coverage, not collision. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that
0: time way, way long ago when I hit a deer, then it wasn't what I was thinking. In other words, that part of the policy wasn't triggering them paying for the rehab
1: of the car. Correct. So it's that comprehensive coverage because technically you didn't hit the deer, the deer hit you. Gotcha. Okay. You mentioned
0: the idea of having those extra coverages if you have a lease or a lien on the car. Are there minimums there that those lease companies and finance companies require or does it kind of vary?
1: It varies, but as a general rule of thumb, leases or loans are going to require you to carry a deductible for that comprehensive and collision coverage that's no more than a thousand dollars. There are a few companies that will require it to be at 500 or less, but the general rule of thumb is 1000 Okay, So they'll tell you as a requirement, you can't have the loan on this car unless you carry comprehensive and collision coverage with deductibles of $1,000 or less. And the deductible, again, is just the part of any claim that you pay out of your own pocket versus what the insurance company is paying for. Gotcha. And then
0: are there certain amounts of, I know a lot of times I'll look at that, you know, my auto policy and it'll say something like a hundred, 300 or 300, 300. What exactly in those two categories does that mean? All right. So in those two
1: categories, it doesn't actually mean anything. Oh, okay. (laughs) where Where you see the 100, 300 or the, or the 1530 show up is on the liability side. So that bodily injury coverage, remember I said, every state's going to require you to carry at least some minimum level of coverage. So that minimum number varies from state to state. So it's always important to be talking to an agent who's licensed to do business in your state, because they will know your state's particular requirements. Gotcha. That bodily injury coverage. So we're located in Delaware. I'll use Delaware as an example. So in Delaware, you're required to carry a minimum of $25,000 per person and $50,000 per accident of bodily injury coverage. That's an absolute minimum set by the state. It was only recently raised uh, about two or three years ago. And so every single driver on the road is required to have at least that much coverage. They're also required to have at least $10,000 of coverage for property damage. So for damage they do to somebody else's vehicle, home, tree, mailbox, whatever it is that you hit. And then uninsured motorists will typically follow the same with the same definitions. So uninsured motorists might be 25000 per person, 50000 per accident. As a general rule of thumb, most drivers on the road should not be driving around with that state-required minimum coverage. It should be more than that. It should be more than that, yes. In our agency, for someone who's a homeowner, we view 100000 per person, 300000 per accident as a flat minimum in terms of bodily injury coverage. And we typically like to see that number at least 250000 per person, 500000 per accident. Um, because again, what this insurance policy is protecting you from is not only the damage to your car, but the damage to your bottom line, to your balance sheet from any lawsuits that come at you as a result of a car accident that was your fault. I remember when you shared this with
0: me a little while ago on our policy, in thinking about what you just said is... When people are looking at that deck page, declaration page, or that policy page that quite mm-hmm. frankly can be uh, intimidating and confusing, what are yes. the specific numbers that they want to be seeing to make sure that whatever they're paying for is what they think they have? So what should those numbers be? You just mentioned sure. like 250, 500, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So again, within our agency, what we recommend for most homeowners is that that coverage is sitting at at least 100,000 per person, 300,000 per accident, if not 250 and 500. The damage for property, again, most states will allow you to carry a limit as low as $10,000. Uh, we recommend that number being at $100,000 and certainly no less than 50,000. Uninsured motorists should match the bodily injury. We always tell people you should protect yourself from everybody else on the road in the same way that you protect everybody else on the road from you. And then when it comes to the vehicle level coverages for the comprehensive and collision, there's a lot of information floating around out there about where deductibles should be. Honestly, most of that information is based on either bad data or older underwriting models that don't really fit the industry anymore. My advice on deductibles is... You have to sit down and figure out what you're comfortable with. Some people love to have insurance where they have a very low deductible or no deductible if something happens. Other people never want to deal with their insurance company, and they're perfectly happy to carry a $1,000 deductible on everything and just take responsibility for the small stuff themselves. It's not a right or wrong. It's just a matter of what's most comfortable for people.
0: Well, let me ask you with regards to that. Let's say I have a policy with all coverages being equal. and Mm -hmm. I have a deductible of 1000 versus no deductible. Is there really a big difference in premiums? Not
1: really. Really? No. I would say most of the time you're going to see premium changes that are less than 5% Okay. for having that, that deductible. And so on the one hand, you can look at it and say, oh, I love that high deductible. I get the lowest possible premium. That's perfectly fine. You can also look at it and say, wow, I would have to have nothing happen to my car for the next eight years before that was a good decision to take the higher deductible. Yeah, you know, maybe you guess right and maybe you don't. We won't know for the next eight years.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And one of the things with regards to all of that, that you had mentioned to me, and quite frankly, it's still a little confusing. We went ahead and did it, mm-hmm. but it was apparently I had what was called non-stacked Versus stacked, and also yes. first-party medical benefits and extraordinary. Am I saying that right? Yes. Medical benefits.
1: Yes, you're you're saying it right. So you live in Pennsylvania, Matt. So Pennsylvania has one of the more unique structures for car insurance that I've ever seen. So there are two specific things to Pennsylvania. Uh, one is the stacking of your uninsured motorist limits, and what that means is in for pennsylvania residents who have a pennsylvania car insurance policy if you use up all of the coverage available for your vehicle under the uninsured or underinsured motorist section of your policy and you have multiple vehicles on the policy if that coverage is stacked it allows you to then go into the coverage limits for the second and third and fourth and as many vehicles as you have and still have your medical bills or your property damage covered by your policy. So stacking is generally a good idea in Pennsylvania. It's a way to expand that coverage for not a lot of premium dollars. Pennsylvania also allows you to select medical coverage that's as low as $5,000 per person or as much as $1.1 million per person. And in an attempt to control premiums, the state has given control of that decision making process around how much medical coverage you want to the individual insured. Unfortunately, most people don't understand the difference from one policy to the next. And very often, the cost to add an extra million dollars of medical protection onto your policy is less than $100 a year. Oh, wow. But because we've been, yeah, but because we've been so programmed to um, automatically shop for the lowest premium. We don't always look at the fine print in how those things are structured. At the same time, unfortunately, as more and more companies are moving to call centers, a call center rep out of state may not deal with enough Pennsylvania policies to be able to adequately explain that difference to you over the phone.
0: Yeah, that that's a big difference, especially for that little bit of money. But if it's – so we have uh, – obviously, I have health insurance. When would this mm-hmm. medical insurance kick in?
1: Before your health insurance. Before. Okay. Before.
0: is yes. Is it pretty so, transparent for me if, God forbid, something like this happens that I don't – and I have medical issues that, you know, they're going to go take care of it for me?
1: Yeah, it's – as as I understand it, when when you have a claim in Pennsylvania, you're going to provide the information to your health care provider for the auto insurance for the accident and for your health insurance, and that the auto insurance will pay first.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now, again,
1: that's something that should always be verified on the policy with the carrier for that individual company.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So again, you know everyone, you can see that there are there's numerous variables that are happening inside of our auto coverage that we want to be aware of, and one of the things that Ted pointed out to me was and actually, you just did is that the the difference in premium for these additional coverages can be in the whole scheme of things very, very minimal i mean for a yes. a million dollars of coverage and it's a hundred bucks a year. That's a pretty good trade-off when, when we're looking at insurance coverages. And actually, this takes me to the next thing. Let's also talk about, because many times we hear out there, you know, especially if you're a homeowner, is if you have coverage, different types of coverage with the same company, you're going to get certain discounts. So we can talk about home coverage, and mm-hmm. I know that I was very fortunate not really knowing what the coverages were but having a really good policy when the hailstorm came through back in like 14 or 15 and we were Mm -hmm. very well covered and then you actually pointed out how our coverage was and how most people don't have that so help us understand the things that we want to be
1: aware of with our homeowners coverage yes so Homeowner's insurance is an entirely different conversation. So forget everything we just said about auto insurance. Homeowner's is a whole different world. So in the case of homeowner's insurance, the big thing that we're looking at is what's called the coverage A, or on your declaration page, it'll be labeled as the dwelling coverage. So this is a calculation that your insurance company has done to estimate how much they think it would cost to rebuild your house in the event of a total loss. And what we're looking for in the definitions of that, besides just the number, is whether or not your policy is providing you with coverage at a replacement cost definition or at an actual cash value definition. So let me give you an example, Matt. When that hailstorm came through in 2015, How old was your roof?
0: Oh wow, I would probably say 18 to 20 years. Okay,
1: so if your policy was written on a replacement value basis, that hailstorm damaged your roof so that it was no longer functional and your company would replace that with a new roof. You would pay your deductible and your house would have a new roof on it. If however your policy was written with an actual cash value definition, for that roof. They would look at the cost of that new roof. They would then apply a depreciation factor to it. They would say, well, Matt, your roof was two thirds used up because it was 20 years old and it was a 30 year roof. So let's say your roof replacement was going to cost you $15,000, but it's two thirds used up. So your coverage for that roof is only $5,000. That's the amount of life that was left on it. Oh, but Matt, you have a $1,000 deductible. So here's a $4,000 settlement check for the actual cash value of your roof, but you still have to replace your roof. Wow, that could be a big difference. (laughs) Yes, it can. Absolutely. And the challenge is that if I'm going to run quotes from 15 different companies and line them up side by side, that lowest cost quote may use an actual cash value definition. I think I've done a great job. I've shopped the market. I've gotten the lowest possible premium until a claim comes around and it's too late. And I realize that even on a roof, I just made an $11,000 mistake. Wow. What if instead of a roof, your house had burned down? Yeah, so then that's everything. That That can get to be a very big, costly mistake. And again, it's because people don't always understand what they're looking at. And our industry has made premium the single most important factor people consider, rather than looking at the coverage on their policies and what is covered and what's not covered.
0: Yeah, that's extremely. uh, Well, just out of curiosity, what is in the difference, if we go for full replacement versus cash value, Mm -hmm. how much Mm -hmm. more premium are we talking about?
1: In many cases, less than 5%.
0: Wow. Wow. So let's say the uh, I think my homeowner's insurance is like 1200 bucks a year. So you're saying to make sure I have that coverage we're talking about 60 bucks.
1: We're talking yeah, about 60 bucks and you know even go to an extreme if somebody comes knocking on your door and they have a premium at 850 a year. You know, now we're talking about a difference of 350 bucks. You still want to be very careful about what coverage am I actually giving up or Uh, you know, what changes in definitions am I agreeing to in order to get that lower premium? Because the risk for my property hasn't changed that much.
0: Right. Yeah. And I know that speaking of all this, uh, you had recently Mm -hmm. worked up a comparison for one of our clients and you mentioned in this idea of replacing, there was also something that had to do with code enforcement.
1: Yes. So as we all are at least some level familiar with, from time to time, states or municipalities will update the code that's required for building new construction. So let me give you an example. In Delaware in 2010, there was a code update made that required updates to electrical systems. So I'm not an electrician, but my basic understanding is it had to do with how far apart outlets could be on a wall. It had to do with what buildings needed centrally monitored smoke detectors instead of the battery operated ones. And specifically what levels of change to the electrical system would cause those new codes to be enforced. So I personally came across this because I was restoring a house that had been built in 1906. We had the rip the entire electrical system out and replace it as part of that restoration. And what we found out was that about half the cost of that electrical work was in bringing the house up to the code that was in place in 2010. Oh, wow. That may not have been otherwise required. So the reason this is important in the case of an insurance policy is that many policies either don't include coverage or don't fully cover any additional costs that are incurred to bring a property up to code. Well, if my house was built in 2015 and it's now 2019, maybe I'm not carrying a lot of risk for that. But if my house was built in 1955 or in 1855, those costs could get to be pretty significant. Well, even
0: in a situation like mine, it was built like in the mid 80s. Yes, I would think that could still be definitely something we would want to look at.
1: Yes, absolutely. And again, many carriers include that coverage automatically as an endorsement on their policies. It's no big deal. But as a consumer, you want to make sure that you don't have a hidden exposure there because you never looked at what your coverage actually is or what is it that I'm getting for my premium dollar.
0: And you obviously go through this when people, when you're looking at quotes, I'm just thinking of the... The last person that you had uh, run the differences in compared to I won't mention who she was with, but the mm-hmm. the difference in the same type of coverages what between mm-hmm. homeowners and uh, two cars, if I remember correctly, was the difference of yeah. seven hundred seven hundred and fifty bucks a month. yeah, and for if she wanted to maintain the same premium is that she could have added everything that you just described. So everything is completely covered, including a umbrella policy. So help us understand real quickly what an umbrella policy mm-hmm. actually covers. So I'm
1: going to correct you on one thing, Matt. We weren't going to save her 750 a month. It was going to be 750 a year. That would have been a heck of a savings, huh? <laughs>
0: Thank you for that correction. Everyone was like, "Damn, I'm calling him now." (laughs)
1: That's right. But what we are what we are talking about. So, one of the core pieces of a policy, and we talked about it on your auto insurance, is the liability protection. Well, your homeowners insurance includes liability protection as well. For most people, that that coverage limit is going to be set at three hundred thousand or at five hundred thousand dollars. And what an umbrella liability policy does is, it's an additional policy. So you have your home and you have your auto insurance. The umbrella liability policy would be a third line of insurance, and it provides an additional block of liability protection above and beyond the limits that are provided in your car insurance or in your home insurance. So to give you an example, use the car insurance as an example. Your car insurance carries a limit of $250,000 per person, $500,000 per accident for bodily injury, and $100,000 for property damage. So let's not talk about gruesome car accidents. Let's just talk about property damage. If I'm driving down the road and I have the misfortune to run into a brand new $400,000 Lamborghini, and I do $150,000 worth of damage to it, and I have perfectly fine limits, I have $250,000 per person, 500 dollars per accident for the bodily injury, I have $100,000 of property damage coverage. What happens when I do that $150,000 of damage to that Lamborghini? My insurance policy is going to pay out $100,000, but that's the policy limit, not going to go past that. Mm. So that means that that other $50,000, that other driver could come after me legally for the difference. And we don't often think about that because obviously I have to make an extreme example like hitting a Lamborghini in order to have the conversation. But I'm carrying an exposure of $50,000 out there plus legal costs that could be not too fun and not too good for my balance sheet. So umbrella policy gives me the ability, now I'm a good driver and I don't have any teenagers on my car insurance, so the rates aren't ridiculous, but it gives me the ability to add another million dollars of protection for that bodily injury, for that liability on my home, for that property damage on my car insurance. At a premium, varying from carrier to carrier, of anywhere from 150 to 300 bucks a year. So, if I am worried about that, if I sleep better at night knowing I have that that extra protection, if I know that I can drive behind the Lamborghini without worrying that he suddenly slams on his brakes, then that's a premium dollar well spent. Yeah, um, absolutely. And what, I, and what I typically explain to people is, you know, we view those limits on our policy as the wall between our balance sheet and a plaintiff's attorney. So when we need to start having conversations about the walls not high enough, that's where the umbrella policies come in. Typically they're issued for a million dollars. I've seen them issued as high as five million dollars in the industry. We can go as high as twenty five or fifty million dollars if we really needed to. You know, if the needs there and the premiums there, we'll find the company that can do it. And so it's a way of providing that extra protection, that extra peace of mind for They're real disasters, not just the fender benders in the parking lot at Target. Right.
0: And as you said, it protects the balance sheet. And it's basically another line of defense. And, you know, I I was speaking with another advisor the other day, and he was bringing up the idea of making sure that these coverages are in place, you know, car, automobile insurance, or motor vehicle insurance, then Mm -hmm. homeowners, and then umbrella policy. And when we pay these premiums, we do want to make sure – that obviously we're looking for a reasonable premium. I'm not suggesting sure. that we always look for the lowest premium, but the biggest reason that we're paying this, we understand it's a necessity and we want to make sure we have the coverage that we need to protect everything else that we've already worked for. And when we pay that, Absolutely. we're not we're not paying it to hopefully one day use it, right?
1: Correct. The idea we're is... Hoping, we're hoping to never have the conversation again.
0: Exactly. But... And this is where insurance comes into play is in the event the conversation starts to happen, we know that we've gone through the process of making sure we, we have the right coverages.
1: I was just going to add one more thing to that, Matt. If you think about it in terms of conversations that you have with your clients every day where you talk about you know, buying life insurance or long-term care insurance to protect that same balance sheet from unforeseen financial disasters, the umbrella liability policy is doing the same thing. Right. Yep. Another tool in the toolbox for the exact same purpose. Yep. And, you know, like you you,
0: pointing out the idea of the homeowners, because homeowners, when we really think about it, to make sure those additional coverages are there is really important. I mean, if you got a twenty thousand dollar roof and you're and they're only cutting you four grand. That's a big dent <laughs> to say. That's to, a bad day. Yeah. To, to say, and, then you're, and then you're ticked off at the insurance company, not necessarily recognizing that maybe the agent wasn't looking out for you
1: to really Absolutely. be able to point
0: those things out. So,
1: Or unfortunately realizing that that's the same policy you got 20 years ago when it was appropriate. Oh, that's a good point too. That's a real good point. And so you've never taken a look as houses change, needs change,
0: you know. Yeah, and actually, you know, you bring up a good point and I think we'll end with this is that this is not something that you just get once and then forget it. No. It's kind of like legal documents, beneficiary forms, life insurance, we want to how is our life changing and we need to change accordingly. So it's definitely something that you want to be looking at and and I'm going to go ahead, let me let everyone know, Ted, how to get a hold of you. Or actually, why don't you tell us what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and maybe do a comparison on where they're sitting today. And what sure. opportunities potentially they would have available?
1: Sure. So the best way to get a hold of us is either to email or go to our website. So our email address is at com. And if you go to our website, there's actually a section of the website where you can reach out and request someone to contact you. And what we offer to anyone who reaches out to us is a free evaluation and comparison on your current policies to make sure you understand what you have, what it can do and what it can't do, and how it compares to what else is in the marketplace. You know, we never try to say that we have the solution for everybody, but we know that if we can provide some good information, there's a good chance we'll do business at some point down the road.
0: Well, good deal. And uh, is there a phone number if they want to reach out to you as well? Absolutely. Our
1: direct number at the office is area code 302. 525-6720. Five two five six seven two zero.
0: Good deal. Well, Ted, listen, thanks for being on here. I want to uh, thank you and make sure everyone that we will have this information, these links, that phone number, uh, Ted's information on the Smart Money Questions podcast site um, in the show notes at the bottom. You'll be able to click right there. Go to right where... He is talking about, I would highly encourage you to take advantage of it just to make sure maybe, and Ted's the kind of guy that'll come back because he's already done it for our clients where, hey, they, they look fine. There's nothing that they need to take care of. Let's look and reevaluate this in two or three years. Or he's going to point out the different things that maybe they want to consider, you want to consider on upping the coverage, usually at uh, a reduced or at a, at a maximum, the same price You're already paying now. So, Ted, thanks again for being here. Very well. Thanks very much, Matt. All righty. Listen, everyone, if you have a question, concern, or scenario you want us to address on our uh, podcast, all you have to do is go to info at smartmoneyquestions.com. You can shoot us an email or smartmoneyquestions.com. There's a form you can fill out. It comes right there. If you would like to speak to me personally, schedule up a 15- or a 30-minute conference call. Just go right to speakwithmatt.com. That's speakwithmatt.com. My online calendar is there. You don't even have to call anyone. It'll come right into us. Go into my calendar and we can talk. So everyone, again, Ted, thanks again. Thanks, everyone. Hopefully this has been valuable and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye.